Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kHz on your AM dial. Uh, thanks again to the Ruminations crew for another great show, highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. I'm Bill. Uh, each week on the Living Free Show, we highlight one of the 12-step recovery programs uh, that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery experience with us and show us that shared experience save lives. As today's World Mental Health Day, we're focusing on the intersection of mental health issues and recovery. Today my guests are Jasmine and Martin, uh, they're members of Alcoholics Anonymous, and now I'll be sharing the impact of mental health challenges on their recovery from alcoholism. So welcome to 3CR Studio this afternoon. Thanks for having me. Okay, Um, now we usually start talking about growing up and life and things like that, but today because it has a mental health uh, focus, um, I thought we'd talk about the things that in hindsight, looking back, you feel influenced the mental health issues that you have and how that also, those things also contribute to um, your alcoholism. So, Jasmine, do you want to just talk a little bit about, you know, life growing up for you and some of the things that you think were particularly important, formative issues for you in that growing up? Yeah, no worries, Bill. Um, yeah, look, I um, I grew up in a pretty unstable childhood and, you know, I think in hindsight looking back and seeing sort of, you know, understanding that my dad suffered from a lot of problems with addiction and, um, you know, amongst that he also had paranoid schizophrenia and uh, bipolar and, you know, as a little child, um, you know, that, that creates a really unstable environment, a very unpredictable environment and, um, you know, adding the abuse um, and anger problems that he had uh, into the mix, you know, it was sort of, you know, a constant, a constant state of fear for me. Um, you know, I was very, very scared of him and, um, you know, he was my primary caregiver, but, you know, I knew that I needed him to be able to survive, but at the same time I was absolutely terrified of him and, you know, spent a lot of time running and hiding away from this person and, um, you know, going off and dissociating and going to any place that I could where I could feel safe, um, whether it was imaginary or physically and, you know, that sort of really didn't set a good a good start for me um, in the way that I felt in the world, you know, I, I sort of felt very uncomfortable and very unsafe in the world and, you know, I didn't know how to trust anybody and, you know, to have, you know, a lot of my basic needs not met and, um, you know, ideas or, you know, anything nurtured as a child. I also really didn't trust myself either and, you know, I also had my mum who was struggling a lot with her own issues um, from growing up in an abusive, violent household and then the violence she experienced from my dad from the age of 16 also, you know. Um, she was only a baby when she had me, so, you know, a lot of a lot of her stuff came on to me and, you know, I was very responsible for my mum's uh, mental health. I felt that I was very responsible for my mum and, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of my time taking care of her and, you know, being her confidant and her friend. So I never really experienced who I was as a kid and I didn't really know, um, 
you know, what it was to be a child and to find myself in the world or to find my value or my own worth. Yeah. So um, your, your parents couldn't really provide you that nurturing. So what were the sort of things that you felt, you know, you missed out on? Um, I, I missed out on knowing what it was to be loved. I missed out on knowing what it was to be a child. I missed out on um, just basic needs. I like I wasn't provided very often with food. Um, we were constantly moving. I'd be left in unsafe environments because my dad, you know, was chasing after his next hit. Um, my mum left when I was young for for a couple of years. Um, you know, I, I never got hugs. I never got kisses. I was never told that I was loved. I was, you know, yelled at and screamed at and beaten and sent to my room or, you know, left in, you know, left in cupboards, left in places. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, you know, the world was a very, very confusing place for me. Yeah, it sounds like, <laughs> oh, okay. Um, Martin, um, growing up, what was, what was your life like? Um, yeah, I think through the lens of hindsight now, um, I could see that uh, my mother suffered from postnatal depression after I was born and um, made an attempt on her life shortly after. Um, through sort of later experience and talking to my mother, it, it turns out that she was uh, abused as a child, um, which I think led her to the postnatal depression and you know the heavy heavy drinking that followed that. My dad also suffered from mental illness. He he was uh, manic depressive and um, was later diagnosed with agoraphobia. So, I mean, looking through that lens, I can see now why um, I I was very sort of um, quite a loner. Really didn't socialise too well, um, and yeah, kind of uh, kept myself to myself, which um, sort of led led to the ostracisation of myself amongst my peers at school. So, yeah, I kind of really struggled to form those social relationships that um, many others carry through to their adult life, you know, yeah. with those friends made at school. So, yeah, I can, there's quite, quite a theme of mental illness in my upbringing, which, you know, I realise now was a, a good contributor to uh, sort of the way, the way I took on life thereafter. Yeah. So, did you suffer any abuse? Um, so, yeah, I, I um, kind of didn't really realise until later on in life when my mother um, kind of fessed up to us that her dad um, sexually abused her as a child. Um, sort of through talking to my mother about that, um, instances in my life started to um, come back into my mind of. Um, times where that same person um, sexually abused me as a child, um, which was quite astonishing, really, how I'd managed to block that out of my life um, to a point where it was so far buried in me that I didn't actually realise it had happened until I was talking to my mother about her experience. Um, I started to get these sort of flashbacks from early on in my life. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you, um, Jasmine. Um, how did how did some of these this abuse that you were suffering, the the things that caused your PTSD, how did they express themselves in your life? Yeah, look, um, you know, from an early age, I was um, a very obsessive compulsive kind of kid, and um, 
you know, I, I, my early symptoms played out with food. Um, I remember as a really little kid, I'd, um, I wouldn't eat, I'd refuse to eat. And, um, you know, I, I had a lot of issues around the way that I thought I looked. I thought, oh, maybe I'm different because of how I look. And, um, because, um, like what Martin said, I really struggled to fit in with my peers as well. And, you know, now looking back in hindsight, it was because, you know, I obviously didn't have the sort of childhood that they were living and um, I didn't have the skills um, to be able to play with kids. Um, You know, I was used to being a caregiver and, you know, I think this combination of, um, you know, the instability at home and then, you know, not feeling grounded at school, um, as well, like I very quickly turned to food and even in primary school, like I wouldn't eat in front of other kids. And, you know, I thought that I was overweight. Um, I wasn't overweight, but in my mind, I thought that I was. Mm. And, you know, by the age of 13, I developed anorexia and bulimia and, um, you know, this sort of, this really wreaked havoc on my life as well, because I had so much shame about who I was and, and what I was doing. And, you know, it was such a, such a hidden I thought it was a very hidden way of um, dealing with my issues and, you know, by the time that I was 15, the doctors had said to me that, you know, I I had two options. I was to either move out of home or um, to go to hospital and I wasn't going to finish school because um, my eating disorders were so exacerbated at that point in my life. Okay. So did you discover anything else that would help cope with those things? Yeah, look. I, the first time I drank, um, I was 14 and, um, you know, I I drank to oblivion. You know, everything that I did was to oblivion and um, it was, you know, looking back, it was just because I wanted to numb the pain and I didn't want to sit with myself and I had so much self-loathing and, you know, but um, as a result of moving out of home at that time and, and the family that I lived with, I didn't pursue my drinking career at that at that point in my life instead I still hung on to uh the eating disorders and um you know it wasn't until I was 18 and went to university that alcohol um overtook and surpassed everything else and you know that's when I became you know a a seven-day blackout drinker Mm. so did you suffer any depression or anxiety yeah I was diagnosed with um severe depression when I was 15 and um they sent me to a doctor and I was put on antidepressants at that point. Um, I really didn't ever want to go on them because my mum, she had big issues with prescription medications and I really um, despised them and I never wanted to to take them because I never wanted to be anything like her. Um, But I was kind of forced to go on them by um, the people that I was living with, Um, you know, and... I, I continued to take them, but I didn't. They didn't stop anything for me. They didn't like. They didn't stop the depression. They didn't stop the anxiety. And um, you know, this is going back. I don't know, nearly fifteen years. And the doctor was like, you know, this this will help you with um your bulimia, which it didn't either. So you know, it was kind of very a counterproductive process taking antidepressants for me. Okay, thanks. Uh, okay, um, so Martin, um, at around the same age, you started. Um, you discovered alcohol. Mm. So did that improve the situation? Yeah, so initially, um, you know, I started drinking about the age of 14 as well. And um, <clears throat> when I started, it kind of, um, 
flicked a switch in me. I became, you know, very social. I was able to, you know, hang around with all the cool kids and do all the stuff that, you know, they were doing. Um, you know, it was at that point I kind of felt that I, I fitted in, um, which, you know, I guess looking back now, all, all I was doing was um, sort of numbing my emotions um, and, you know, using alcohol to... Um, make me more um, extrovert, I guess, able to, you know, join in and have fun with all the other, all the other kids. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, did you seek any help for your depression? Yeah. So, um, I think from about the age of twelve was when I first um, sought medical help. Um, at, at that age, though, I think it was it was quite mild, so I wasn't prescribed until later in life. Um, but um yeah so i mean on on from the sort of the alcohol abuse um came drug taking as well which um you know i think as the alcohol was wearing off uh masking my emotions um i had to sort of switch to something else to self medicate um then you know stepped forward a few years later and um went back to the medical profession for help because the depression was getting you know way too much by that point um and it was at that point I was I was medicated. Um, so you know, through those years, I was you know taking you know depressants through alcohol and drugs, but also taking antidepressants. So um, yeah, that's a contradiction, <laughs> is that <laughs> exactly? Yeah. So did the antidepressants solve your problems? Um, they so initially they did i think the same as alcohol and drugs they initially sort of numbed my emotions to give me enough room in my mind to you know sort of keep going i guess with daily life um but then you know like the drugs and alcohol after a while they didn't really have an effect um yeah it was um was just kind of another another sort of drug to you know suppress my emotions um you know and keep me keep me sort of pegged down really yeah so did that reduce your um your mental health issues or were they getting more severe um i think they were getting more severe because i was still you know addicted to alcohol and drugs at that time so um, you know, I had the opposite pull from, you know, I was using depressants and antidepressants. So, uh, it actually ended up making it worse in the end, um, to the point where, um, I couldn't even have a, a serious conversation with a partner or loved one. Um, I'd, um, I'd only really be able to have those serious conversations through alcohol, um, which, you know, ended up making um you know a serious conversation into a serious issue really for myself and and my partner yeah okay well listen we might take a quick break interested in mental health issues then tune into brainwaves every wednesday at 5 p.m brainwaves is a peer-produced and presented program addressing issues that may affect you 3cr inclusive radio making your voice heard Uh, you're listening to the Living Free Show. Uh, we've got over 100 episodes of the show available on podcasts. Uh, they're available on our website, uh, which is 3cr.org.au forward slash living free. Um, if you want to send us a message, you can either contact the station on 94198377, 
um, or you can email us uh, 3CRLivingFree at gmail.com and we're also on Twitter as 3CRLivingFree. I'm talking with Jasmine and Martin and we're talking about mental health and how it impacts their recovery from alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, so Jasmine, um, I think we finished talking with you about when you were about 18 you went to uni. Yeah. And would you like to tell us about how that changed your life? Yeah, look, uni was sort of the floodgate for me. I, um, you know, it was the place where, you know, I was out of the town that I grew up and, you know, there was new people to meet and um, there was no restrictions on me um, because I sort of, you know, really tried to behave myself um, during high school uh, when I was living with my uh, friend's family. But once I got to university, I think that really um, was the light of... um, you know, where everything sort of broke loose and, you know, that, that side of me really came out and, you know, I really wanted to fit in, you know, which which gets spoken of quite a bit, but, um, you know, always feeling like I was different and, um, you know, I didn't fit in uh, growing up. Like once I got to uni and I discovered alcohol, it was kind of like that one thing that I did really, really well and, yep. um, you know, my hair came down and, you know, all those inhibitions went and, um, you know, I was kind of, I felt like I was cool and, you know, I fitted in with with everybody and I was kind of like the party starter and then never stopped partying and um, just went on and on and on and, you know, it only took me about a year but, you know, after my first year by some fluke and somehow passing all my grades... I um I really hit a rock bottom. My health really deteriorated from the amount of alcohol that I was drinking and, you know, still having the undercurrents of an eating disorder as well. So my body uh, was not in a good way and I decided to take a year off. And, you know, in that year I went and worked at a bar so things didn't get a whole lot better, um, you know, and things were really unstable. I had very unstable living. I was really bad with managing my money and... Um, you know, I, sometimes I look back and I wonder how I didn't end up homeless at some points. And, um, you know, I ended up meeting a guy sort of at the end of that year and, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a healthy relationship, but, you know, he sort of convinced me to go back to, to studying. And so I went back to uni for another two years. And, you know, after that time, I, you know, had been in this abusive relationship um you know he had a lot of his own issues around uh drugs and alcohol and you know I sort of you know would smoke weed with him or um you know drink with him and then you know I sort of got to this point where um I knew that I needed to get out of that but I didn't know how and um you know at the same time I I found out that my dad had um taken his own life and you know looking back that really was a huge turning point for me and you know I think uh, subconsciously it brought up a lot of stuff from my childhood that I hadn't dealt with but you know at that point in my life I still wasn't ready to deal with it and um, I fell into um, a crowd that used a lot of drugs and um, you know that for me that's where I lit up and um, you know drugs really really took a big turning point for me in my life and I decided to leave university and, um, you know, I entered into the adult industry. Um, that's sort of where things started to get really, really sour for me and, um, 
you know, this disease and my mental health deteriorated in a huge way. Okay. Um, so what sort of drug use were you using? Um, for me, it started out, um, you know, going to festivals and, you know, having house parties. So, you know, there's a lot of speed and amphetamines and, um, you know, um, trips. So like acid, DMT, mushrooms, all these sorts of things. And, um, you know, MDMA pills, like party weekend sort of drugs. Um, but once I went into the adult industry, cocaine, um, really took over my life and um, I became heavily dependent on cocaine use to work and to function. Um, So, you know, I, you know, almost seven days a week I was using cocaine and drinking alcohol, Um, you know, and I knew um, I was about 23 and I'd really hit a rock bottom and, um, you know, I started, geographicals really started needing to be a thing for me because, you know, I I would be using um, cocaine first thing in the morning to get out of bed, and you know, I I do remember at that point being like, I've got a really big problem here, and I I need to get away, and um, so I I changed locations and moved to a different city, and you know, I put down I put down the cocaine, but then you know, my alcoholism spiraled out of control as well. Okay, it doesn't sound good. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, Martin, back to you. Um, I think when we finished talking to you, you talked about um, having a rock bottom about mm. 12 months ago that made you consider getting help. Yeah, so <clears throat> I think as I alluded to, I, I was using alcohol to have those serious conversations that I couldn't do sober. Um, and uh, there came a point a few months ago where um, I was going on holiday with my partner Um it was the first time we'd actually had time together alone for, um, I think, 10 years uh, since we had kids. Um, and, yeah, I, I ended up deciding it was a, a good time to have this serious conversation while we were on a plane. Um, by which point I'd, you know, I'd, I was abusing uh, Valium at the time um, and mixing that with alcohol. Um, I ended up having a blackout on the on the plane and... Waking up in a holding cell um, and subsequently spending a night in jail. Um, luckily, um, no charges were pressed. Uh, I was just detained to sort of sober off in this prison overnight to be deported back to Australia the day after. Um, so I think, I mean, that was a real big turning point for me. Um, I think as uh as I entered into AA shortly after I came back to Australia, um, there's kind of a common phrase where people are, are grateful for their last rock bottom, and I couldn't really understand it at the time. I, you know, I thought, what, what's there to be grateful for? It's a horrendous thing. Um, but, you know, with a few months of sobriety up now, um, I realised it was actually a bit of a gift because, um, you know, it gave me gave me the kick I needed Um to, to get into AA and, you know, start working in the steps, um, which has, you know, really, really been good for me. It's been a, allowed me to address all of the issues that I've, I've had in the past, um, understand that my, you know, my, my disease is alcoholism and that um, my mind needs, needs work, um, I can't just mask it through um, substance abuse. Yeah. Right. So uh, substance abuse, so what other things were you taking? Um, so 
likewise, I went through a big period of um, cocaine use in my sort of mid-twenties. Um, and, and marijuana was a big theme for me. Um, I think you know, I pick, first picked up marijuana when I was 15. Um, it was all it was all good fun at the time. Um, I was, you know, kind of you know, a fairly depressed kid, pretty serious. Um, when I discovered marijuana, you know, I never laughed so much in my life. But um, you know, um, it subsequently turned out to um, have the last laugh on me, and I ended up with you know a habitual addiction to it for probably the next fifteen, fifteen maybe twenty years. Um, wow. Yeah, uh, you know, it got to the point where, yeah, I'd I'd wake up, roll up, uh, smoke a smoke a joint before I could do anything. Um, and a, a similar theme with alcohol is, you know, I got to the point where I was highly functioning on, you know, these substances. I was able to carry out and what would be a normal sort of person's life, but only through the assistance of of these um, addictions. Yeah. So could you address those yourself or did you need extra help to get off? Um, so I I sought help and um, I think for me it was very... I've always found it very difficult to be honest with a medical profession. Um, I'd always kind of held back how serious my sort of drug and alcohol abuse was, um, which, you know, if you think about it, you know, how are these people supposed to help you if you're not actually honest with them? Um, it was only through subsequently, you know, hitting my rock bottom and coming to AA that I was able to be open and honest in front of, a you know, what would be a group of strangers, but we all shared a, a sort of a common common um, path Um but it was only through feeling comfortable to share there that I was able to then open up and be honest to my, you know, medical professionals that were helping me. Um, so yeah, I do. I am. <clears throat> I do worry that a lot of people, you know, are possibly doing the same, not being totally honest with their medical profession, and ending up being prescribed uh, more drugs, which isn't actually helping them. Um, yeah, so it was really through AA and the honesty of the fellowship that i was able to actually get proper help okay um so has it improved your depression anxiety yeah so um miraculously um i um you know from getting honest with the medical profession after aa um i'm my anxiety levels have dropped off to a point where it's almost non-existent i'd say it's probably just a normal person's level of anxiety um, so I'm no longer on Valium anymore. Um, and through further talks, it's um, becoming apparent that I quite likely don't need antidepressants now that I'm dealing with uh, my sort of past trauma um, correctly and without hiding stuff. Okay. Well, that's good. Mm. Good news. Um, so back to you, Jasmine. Um, so you're in this vicious cycle of drugs and alcohol and needing to get away from it all, how did it all come to a head when you decided to get help? Yeah, look, um, I guess this pattern sort of continued on for me and, um, you know, I'd, I'd get these moments of, um, you know, sobriety from drugs and alcohol or, you know, and, and constantly sh- 
changing my life to try and fix the outside, to try and fix the inside and, you know, it just didn't work and in the end, um, you know, it all came to a head for me when I was 27 um, in Sydney and I was I was drugged and raped and, you know, that sort of became the the tipping point for me and, you know, I was always able to sort of pull myself up with, um, with the drug use but at this point... Um, it completely spiraled out of control and I saw blatantly um, how little control I had over everything and uh, I was terrified for my life. Um, you know, I, I kept having this voice in my head telling me that I was going to die and that's at what that's the point for me where I realised that I couldn't take control anymore and, um, you know, I wasn't able to work anymore. I no longer had anywhere to live. Um, you know, I was full of shame for, you know, what my life had come to and where I was at. Um, but, yeah, I had a moment of clarity where, you know, I realised that I had to pick up the phone and ask for help. And what, what form did that come in, the help? The help, um, yeah, so... Um, I phoned up uh, an old friend and they they came and um, they took care of me and and then it was phoning up a rehab and, you know, going into rehab to, you know, at that point I thought I don't have a problem with anything. You know, this denial um, is, is just nuts and, you know, for me I just thought, well, you know, if you had happened to you what happened to me, you'd be drinking and using too and, um, you know, I... I couldn't come to terms that well to begin with that I I did have this disease of alcoholism and addiction um, because I'd grown up in it and I never wanted to be anything like my parents um, you know and I, I started to recognize that I did have issues with trauma um, and you know when I when I went to rehab I was diagnosed with severe complex PTSD and you know I sort of for a long time, um, I didn't ever want to wear a label of anything with mental health because I'd sort of judge my parents so much and, mm. you know, I just didn't want to be anything like them. But, um, you know, it was through acceptance. Like I could only really start to get well when I when I accepted that I had, you know, one, I had the trauma and I had the PTSD and I also, you know, was an alcoholic and an addict and, you know, that's that's where things started to change for me when I could accept, you know, what I was dealing with and, you know, start to address those issues. Okay, thank you. I'm talking with Jasmine and Martin and we're talking about Alcoholics Anonymous, recovery from alcoholism and the impact of mental health. So, Jasmine, coming into AA, what was that like for you given all the trauma you'd suffered in your life? I think, you know, I was 27 and, you know, I didn't really want to accept the fact that, you know, I'd ended up in a rehab and now I'm sitting in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and, you know, the, the level of denial um, that I had there and um, the shame and I think, you know, all these surface emotions that I was experiencing. But I think, you know, in hindsight, um, stepping into the rooms of AA has been probably the most healing thing that could have ever happened for me. Um, you know, it's been through through going to meetings and, um, you know, meeting people in AA and sharing, you know, my story and my experiences and having a safe place to go to, you know, and, you know, through, through my recovery and going through the work on my trauma, um, you know, there's been a lot of times where, 
you know, I'd have days where I didn't think I was going to be able to get through that day, either sober or alive, um, because of the things that were coming up for me. And, you know, what I learned was that I always had a safe place to go to. I knew that I could go to a meeting and, um, I knew that that was a safe place. And what AA gave me in early recovery was somewhere safe to go to. And I'd never had that in my whole life. And, you know, it gave me this family and this support that I'd never had either. And, you know, I was accepted for who I was. It didn't matter how I was when I stepped into one of those meetings. I knew that there wasn't any judgment there and people met me with open arms and compassion and empathy. And, you know, I'd never experienced that. I'd never experienced anything like it in my life. And, you know, there's so many things that go on in these rooms and there's so much to this program that's seen and unseen um, that for me has been so conducive to my healing from my mental health issues. And, you know, I know I'm not the only one when I get into those rooms that's had a similar path to myself. Unfortunately, you know, ending up in the rooms with childhood trauma and PTSD isn't uncommon, especially for women. You know, so there were women there that, you know, could meet me um, where I was at with a lot of things and um, and share their experiences and, you know, things that had helped them. And, you know, I didn't feel alone. And, um, you know, going into the rooms brought sh- the shame into light. You know, I didn't have to deal with um, all the brokenness that I thought I was. Like there's there were so many times in my early recovery where, you know, I just thought that I was so broken I thought that I was damaged goods and that nobody could ever possibly love me for, you know, the person that I was and what had happened to me. And, you know, I I honestly felt at times that I was beyond repair and I was never going to be good again. Like, oh, I was never going to have a life that I wanted to live because, you know, I was so shaken up. And and how has um, the program helped you feel better in a mental health space? Yeah, look, um, by by going through the program and, you know, doing the suggested things from older sober members, um, you know, what it did was help give me my power back um, because I think when I really look at it, my two biggest fears in life were responsibility and vulnerability because I didn't know how to be responsible um, as an adult and I was terrified of being vulnerable because I'd been taken advantage of so much. And, um, you know, by... By learning to do the program and going through the discipline, um, it gave me this sense of empowerment and this this um, insight that, you know, at the end of the day, everything in this world was out of my control, but I could control my own actions, you know, and that was an empowering experience. And, you know, there's parts of the program where we're able to, you know, put down on paper in step four, like, you know, we, we do our inventory and... You know, I I had all this stuff in my first inventory about how everybody made me feel. Mm. (laughs) And it was a really big awakening for me to realise that nobody made me feel anything. I was responsible for how I I felt and how I Mm. reacted. Um, You know, and so by getting these flashes of insight and being able to start to change the way that I see the world and how I see myself in the world, and then, you know, in step nine, being able to go to go back and and face the people that you know I need to make amends to that I I felt that I've hurt and a lot of a lot of those times that that's what my head thinks and it wasn't actually the reality of what went on and um you know I'm able to start to see the world in a different way because you know um living with all this trauma like my brain is just wired for fear 
I'm just living in this constant state of fear and you know I'm going I'm responding to the world with all these fear reactions um, that aren't actually there and so you know by seeking outside help and working the program I'm able to see that there isn't actually anything to be fearful of and um, you know I'm able to start to have courage and to have the strength to be able to face you know fears and to do the little things in life because there were little things that I couldn't even do like I couldn't be in a room full of men I couldn't you know I struggled to do day-to-day things sometimes like you know and and by putting the program into action and by being able to to tie in the concept of having a higher power that loved me unconditionally um, that started to fill this hole that I had and to start to help me feel like I was worthy and that um, maybe there was a place for me in the world. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, Martin, uh, how's Mm. AA helped you with your life as well as your health? Mm. Um, Yeah, I think AA really helped me to be honest with myself, um, which in turn has, you know, allowed me to really get to the root of what what my issues really are um, and not these perceived issues that you kind of, you know, make up a narrative for in your own mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Strange. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, again, you know, going through step four, you, you really start to realise what your part is in that narrative that you've spun in your own mind um, and start to piece apart, you know, the actual reality of what, has got you to where you're at um and you know really understanding your part in that narrative and yeah just um yeah really helped me to be honest with myself which has has helped me heal yeah so what about your relationships with your family um yeah really taking a u-turn um such a such a different life these days um before i would i'd always make excuses not to spend time with my family um I mean, there's a there's an example I like to use where, you know, my kids would ask if I'd go and play with them, and I, before I'd even answer them because I'd said it so many times, they say to me, "In a minute," um, you know, which uh, it's embarrassing, isn't it? It is, um, you know. And when I started to get honest with myself, and I heard them saying that, I mean, they'd been saying it for ages, but it only really sunk in um, after I'd got honest with myself through AA. Um, and you know, now they ask if if I, I can play with them and I just drop whatever I'm doing and get on with it because you know it's important for me now to be be a good dad to them um I mean I spent my whole life my my folks split when I was 15 years old so I had to I kind of grew up really quick um at that point and I always said to myself that I wouldn't if I ever had children I wouldn't give them that same environment and I spent my whole life trying not to not to do that to them and ended up doing exactly that to them um you know robbing them of a father um but yeah these days you know my my kids are happy we uh we go out all the time you know my wife's got to the point now after four or five months of sobriety um you know she's she's happy she's got happiness back in her life um yeah, the great. last yeah the last two and a half years for her were were dreadful um but yeah, it's through the through the power of AA and the fellowship that you know it's it's making me into a better person, making me more honest. And you know, the net effect of that is that people around you um, see that and it gives them happiness. Yeah, mm. which is great. Yeah, yeah. Um, so talking about outside help, um, 
Jasmine, how has Outside Help helped you and why did you think you needed it, given you've got AA? Yeah, thanks, Bill. Um, yeah, look, I I had to start to realise that, um, you know, I was an alcoholic and an addict and I had PTSD and childhood trauma and um, I, for a little while, really wrote off the fact that, you know, I was an alcoholic and an addict because of the trauma um, and then the lights really had to come on for me that these were two separate issues and, um, you know, as much as AA has been conducive to the healing of my trauma, um, I still needed to seek extra help around that. And, um, you know, for me that looked like seeing um, a trauma trauma specialist um, for a couple of years. I also started to really um, delve into doing mind-body work, a lot of meditation, yin yoga, and network spinal analysis. <laughs> And through through using these modalities, I was able to start to basically rewire my nervous system, start to change the way my body was physically reacting to the outside world. Um, it started, you know, starts to change um, the way that your brain is as well. So, um, you know, reducing the size of parts of the brain that um, are responsible for our fight and flight and where the fear comes from and, um, you know, this has had a huge impact for me over the last couple of years and, and where I am today from, you know, what I was told when, you know, I first got sober that, you know, it was going to take many, many years for me to um, get well and start to recover and that this was something that was going to impact my life for the rest of my life and I wasn't going to buy into that. And, um, you know, I've done a lot of my own research around um you know, how I can heal the trauma as well. And, um, you know, I think there's, you know, AA has given me that that safety and that security and um, uh, people to talk to. But by going in and really doing the work on my body as well, it's sort of, it started to heal that the physical illness side of the PTSD. But, you know, I've also got to continue with um, the AA stuff because I have a disease of alcoholism and addiction and, and that can't be cured. You know, that's something that I need to treat. So, um, yeah, it's sort of, you know, acknowledging these two paths and, you know, using them both coincidely so that, you know, my life can can be you know what i what i deserve really yeah, yeah yeah instead of just taking what what it is yeah exactly uh so martin what about you how how's your relationship with um professionals changed mm. um since you've got into aa um yeah i mean as i alluded to now I'm, I'm honest with them so they're able to provide me you know actual guidance to address those issues from early childhood and um were left unattended and masked for so long, um, you know. And then from that, I'm able to then deal with you know other issues that might might not be as serious, but you know through professional life, um, you know I'm able able to work on things in my workplace um, to help better myself there. Um, it's really freed me up to. Um, you know, further improve myself um, now that I've, I've dealt with those issues of early childhood. Yeah, okay. Mm. Um, yes. Yeah, Jasmine. sorry. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to add as well um, 
how much of a profound impact working with others has had on my life as well. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Being able to not only just pass, you know, the message of AA, but also be a beacon for hope um, for other for other members and, and newcomers coming into the rooms of AA, um, you know, and and by working this program and, and doing my own inner work, you know, um, and working on my mental health issues, you know, it has given me a, a level of compassion and empathy for other humans I didn't think that I had. Um, and it's I'm able to sit with other humans and, and people, whether it is members of AA or, you know, anybody in the po- population and, you know, be present for them and, um, and listen to what they're going through and have some sort of understanding, you know, um, at a level that I just I, I never could have had if, you know, this wasn't part of my journey and um, if I wasn't doing the work on myself. Yeah, yeah, it helps. Once you, once you start feeling connected, it's very difficult to disconnect again. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so, Martin, what about you? What what would you say to somebody who was mm. like you mm. and thinking about doing something? What should they do? Um, I mean, yeah, I think the, the key theme for me was really just being honest with myself. And I think in order to do that, I had to um, seek external help um, through AA and the 12-step program. Um, I think, you know, as Jasmine alludes to there, a big part of it is working with other people. It gives you a sense of self-worth. I think early on I didn't... I kind of... I didn't really know how I'd be able to help others being so early in sobriety, but talking to a lot of the older members, um, just newcomers to the room sharing their stories reminds the old-timers... Yeah, um, where they've come from. That's that's right, yeah. Yeah. It gives them a a real... sense of how far they've come but um you know you, you can be value, valuable very early on i mean there's other newcomers there as well so just teaming up with other new people you know calling them um just talking about their life i think you know getting outside of yourself is real yeah. a real key to recovery um you know helping you know as jasmine says helping others is is you know it's paramount to recovery um yeah, it just gets you outside of yourself, gives you self-worth. Um, and, you know, seeing other people get something out of what you're saying is just magical. Yeah. And the other thing in recovery, it's all about paying it forward because you're mm. rarely able to help to pay back the person who's helped you. That's right. Yeah. But you can certainly help others. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's great. Okay. There's been some uh, issues discussed in this um, interview that may affect some people. So we talked about sexual assault uh, and abuse. Um, and so if you've got any um, issues uh, about the things that were raised here and if they cause you distress, you can call Lifeline on 131114, um, 1800RESPECT on 1800 737 732, uh, the Rape and Domestic Violence Services Australia, 1800 211 028, uh, or WIRE, 1300 130. Uh, well, listen, that's about all we've got time for today. Um, if you'd like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, you can phone them on 1300 222 or you can go online at aia.org.au. That's about all we've got time for today. Uh, I'd like to thank Jasmine and Martin for coming into the 3CR studio and sharing their mental health challenges and their AA recovery experience with us today. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Bill. Bill. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we will again be talking about recovery from alcoholism and we'll be joined by Russell and Greg from Alcoholics Anonymous. 
Stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Thanks for listening to the Living Free program today. Uh, to take us out, we've got a song called All Gen Wants by Anna Schionti. Mm-hmm. 